Heavenly Father, thank you for all the places that we've been together so far this morning. And thank you for where we get to go now. Thank you for the book of Proverbs and for what it is going to teach us this morning. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be attentive and listening and believing that we would receive with faith the word that comes to us this morning. That as we behold your glory in your word, O Lord, that you would shape our hearts to reflect your glory. And that you'd be honored by the fruit of our lives as a result of, of our exposure to you this morning. Send us out from this place, Lord, more ready to believe and quick to obey. And that through us the world would see you. And would you do all of that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please go ahead and have a seat. I'll never forget going to my very first pastor's conference back when I was in my early 20s. My friend Jay and I both had our hearts set on being pastors, and we drove all the way to California to go to a conference hosted by a well-known preacher that we were both pretty big fans of at his very large church. And we were young and experienced and from a small town in Saskatchewan, and there we were in the big city surrounded by thousands of important-looking people and sitting in an important-looking place every day. And uh, the church there treated us really well. Uh, re- they were really kind and hospitable. We were put up by some people there, billeted out in the church, and uh, they didn't treat us like we were a couple of nobodies from nowhere. And uh, in, being in that kind of environment after a few days, I think I might have started to feel a little important myself. Like, maybe this was all rather fitting, you know? Here I was, and how great was this? That all changed on the, it was the second or third day of the conference. I was standing in the bookstore, uh, picking up one thick volume after the other, trying to look somewhat knowledgeable about all of these big books that I had never read and, and uh, trying to subtly impress the people around me. And uh, I set my last book down and I turned to exit the bookstore, maybe to go grab a cup of coffee from the, from the courtyard. And I took a very confident step smack into a thick glass wall that had been only inches away from me the whole time, which I had not seen because it was glass. And though I did not see it, yet it made its presence very known as my skull made very good contact with the glass wall, setting the whole thing vibrating, causing a big boom like thunder to echo through the whole bookstore, which suddenly got very quiet and dozens of eyes were all fixed on me as I stumbled around trying to figure out what in the world had just happened. A guy close by me said, hey, are you okay? And ignoring the growing goose egg right on the front of my forehead, I said, I said, yeah, I'm fine. The only thing I hurt was my pride. And what he said was, well, you'd better do that a few more times then. (laughs) Now, I don't know if he knew that I needed to hear that or not, but I did. And uh, God used him that morning in my life. And that story kind of stands out to me as one of those many times in, in my life where humility and pride have stood side by side and I've had to choose a path. 
And that's really what we're going to be considering this morning from the book of Proverbs. As you know, we're going through this book. We're over halfway through this series of in chapters 10 to 31. And uh, we're, we're seeing how what all the Proverbs say about these certain topics. And so today we're looking at humility and pride, really a part two to last week, which is where we considered wisdom and folly. Uh, and we even saw hints there of humility and pride. And I'm sure that each one of us, if we went back through the memory banks, could probably fill in our own story. Not that much different from mine, where we stared humility and pride in the face and we had to make a choice. Maybe there's some funny stories in there. Maybe there's some more serious stories. I'm sure we've all seen, if we're honest, whether it's in our own lives or the lives of others, just how destructive pride can be. And yet I'm, all, I'm also sure we've each seen in the lives of others and, and perhaps by God's grace and the power of his spirit, perhaps in our own lives, the beauty and the attractiveness of humility when God, when God uh, causes that to take, take root in a person's heart. And so I hope we come eager to hear this morning what God in the book of Proverbs has to say about humility and pride. The Bible says a lot about these topics. I just want to get this out of the way now. The Bible says a lot, but we're going to, for the most part, we're going to confine ourselves to Proverbs to see what, what this book has to say about these things. Now, there's an outline. It's there on your, on your handout. And so we're going to be able to follow through. And you can see the outline really comes in two big halves. We're going to first look at three big truths that the book of Proverbs teaches us about humility and pride. And then we're going to look at four lessons, uh, specific practical lessons from Proverbs that speak to us about how to cultivate or how to practice or often how to do both at the same time, how to cultivate and practice humility in our daily lives. But before we do that, before we get into the, 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 this outline, I just want to make sure that, that we are on the same page with what we're actually talking about when we talk about pride or humility. What do these words even mean? And one of the main words for pride in the Hebrew Bible, and, and we're not going to point out every time we see it today, but it's one of the very common words for pride in the Hebrew Bible. It has the basic meaning of highness or being lifted up. So a proud person thinks they're above other people or they're trying to be above other people in, in one form or another. Other people are down here and I'm up here. That's, that's the basic sense of, of pride. Another word that we're going to see in our passages is the word arrogance and, and traced back to Hebrew. Uh, this word speaks about someone who presumes too much about themselves. They don't think about others. They don't think that God's laws apply to them. They're, they're presumptuous about themselves. There's another word we'll see, haughty, not H-O-T-T-I-E, but H-A-U-G-H-T-Y, haughty. And, and it speaks uh, to someone, this word can be used in a couple of senses. There's a couple of, of things going on. One is, again, being above others, high. And another has to do with an unwillingness to learn from God or from other people. See how that connects up like we saw last week to not being teachable as being the root of, of foolishness. So if we take these words together, I'm just pointing out some of the main, kind of the broad strokes in, 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 the, in the Hebrew words here. Uh, that, that, that a proud person is someone who thinks too highly about themselves. They imagine that they're in a separate class from everybody else. You know, they're different. They're the special one. The rules don't apply to them. And, and perhaps even in a separate class from God himself. Exalted 
independent of God and perhaps exalted above God. That, that's pride. Now, humility is the exact opposite of this. So the, the basic sense of, of humility at, at, the, at, the, at the level of just what the word in Hebrew points to is lowness, being low. So pride, high, humility, low. And even in the sense of being afflicted, like laid low, that's what humility is. A humble person is lowly. That's, we see that word in different translations of the Bible, lowly. It's the same word for, for humble. A humble person is not trying to be above others. They know they're low, especially compared to God, which is a big idea that's going to come out today. They know they're needy and dependent. That's another uh, sense that comes out in the way these words are used. They're not independent. They're dependent on God and others. Another word for humility is also connected to the idea of modesty, which has to do with not attracting a lot of attention to yourself. So there we have it, a proud person, high, above others, independent, a humble person knows that there's only one person who is high and exalted, and it's not them, it's God. So they're content to be low, unnoticed, needy. And so as we consider how these truths show up in the book of Proverbs, we're going to start by looking at three truths, three truths about pride and humility in the book of Proverbs. The first really is what, is what hooks up our wagon to last week's message. And we see here that pride is typical of, or pride is connected to fools, scoffers, and the wicked. So those are three of the groups of people that we, we looked at in the book of Proverbs last week. And so there's three verses here that just show how, how uh, pride is connected to these types of people. Proverbs thirty thirty two. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, and it goes on from there, and we'll get back to that on another Sunday. But the idea there is that exalting yourself, trying to lift yourself high, is is extremely foolish. So that's pride connected to fools. Uh twenty one twenty four. We read this verse last week. Scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. There you have it. The scoffer, the guy who, according to Proverbs, is totally hopeless. The mocker of truth is Mr. Arrogant. And finally, 21.4 connects haughtiness and pride with wickedness and sin. It says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked, are sin. So the wicked person, as they go through their life, what's the, the lamp that they're using to illuminate the world around them? What's the light by which they see things? Haughty eyes and a proud heart. That's, that's their world. And so we see that Proverbs doesn't leave us wondering about pride and haughtiness. Are they okay? Are they not okay? Does it depend what you're proud about? No, no. Like, just right there, out of the gates, you don't want to have anything to do with pride, arrogance, haughtiness, because they are the domain of fools and scoffers and wicked people. And last week, Proverbs showed us what's going to happen to those who choose folly who choose arrogance, uh, pardon me, who choose scoffing, mocking, who choose wickedness, they're going to face God's judgment. And that leads us into our second truth today, which is that God hates pride and will punish it. Proverbs doesn't mince words on this file. 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. 
There's that word abomination again. I, we looked at this word last week and describe something that is offensive, detestable, just awful. Get it away from me. That is what an arrogant heart is like to God. Supremely offensive to him. It's not hard to think of why. God is the only exalted one. He is above all. And he created us in his image, not to compete with him, but to reflect him and to reflect his glory. He does not want to share his glory. He wants his glory to be reflected back to him. Isaiah 48, 11, he says, how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God is righteously jealous for his own glory. And so when we as puny little humans created to be dependent on him, created to reflect his glory, when we turn the mirror back on ourselves and revel in our own glory, that is completely overturning the very purpose for which we were created. And it is supremely offensive to God. And not only does he hate it, but he will deal with it. And so 1618 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This verse is often shortened as pride comes before a fall, but it's actually a little bit more edgy than that. Pride comes before destruction. That's, that's what the fall is that's talking about, the fall of being destroyed. The person walking around in pride, whether they know it or not, is on the edge of destruction. This verse is telling us that a haughty spirit goes before a fall. In other words, try to lift yourself up. You're actually going the opposite direction. Pride doesn't work. It will never work. You can't lift yourself up. It's like the Greek legend of the the guys who made the wings out of wax and tried to fly to the sun, and yet that same sun melted their wings and they crashed and burned, and that is what will happen to all those who are prideful. 1525, the Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the widow's boundaries. So there, going back a few weeks, we see God's concern for the truly vulnerable, but God's opposition to the arrogant. God is actively working against the prideful. Four more Proverbs spell this principle out. 11.2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. 18.12, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty. But humility comes before honor. This next verse is particularly important, 28.13, because it points to one of the experiences in our life where, where pride often really shows up in a way that we really know, uh, can, can be really aware of. It's when we've done something wrong and we don't want anyone to find out because, oh no, now they're going to think less of me than they should. It's so different from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, I don't want any of you to think higher of me than you ought. Many of us have the opposite of wrong. We don't want people to think lower of us than we think they should. And so when we do something wrong, how often we try to scramble to cover it up to, so that people will keep thinking higher of us than they really should. Arrogance at its finest or perhaps its worst. And yet 28.13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. The path of pride, trying to cover up your sin, is not going to work. It's just going to lead to not prospering. 
in the language of Proverbs. One last verse sums up this whole second truth. 29.23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So trying to be high will bring you low. Pride will always be a failed project. It just never is going to work because, as we've seen, the creator of the universe, the only one who deserves to be high and exalted, is personally actively opposed to any competition. And he is against the proud. We can see this in redemptive history, can't we? We're gonna, we've pointed this already. We're going to come back. But think of Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And being found in the form of a servant, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To see these principles lived out in the life of Jesus, who though he was low, though he was high, was willing to be made low and God exalted him. Compare that to our enemy, the devil, as best as we can understand from what we see in scripture, he wanted to go higher and that is going to result in him being lowest for all of eternity. And so this brings us, especially the example of Jesus, brings us to the third truth, which I have just sort of jumped the gun on here. And it's that humility is better in every way. Pride doesn't work. Pride's never going to work. But humility is better in every way. Because just as much as God is opposed to the proud, so God shows grace to the humble full of grace and favor. I just think this is wonderful. This just shows us that the heart of God. It makes sense for God to be opposed to the proud. But for God to look at a humble person who knows their spot, they know they're low, they know they're nothing compared to him, that he doesn't just say, well, you know your spot, good, and move on. But no, when God sees someone who knows their spot, who knows they're low and humble, he is drawn to them to show grace and mercy and to give them even honor as we're going to see here i just love what this tells us about our god and his gracious heart look at 1812 again we've seen this already 1812 but humility comes before honor 29 23 he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor humility is the path to true greatness because god makes sure that the humble are honored And so the next two Proverbs in your handout flesh this truth out some more. 1533, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. So there's the fear of the Lord, knowing our spot, being even afraid in the presence of our great God. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom and humility comes before honor. 22.4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord. See, they're connected again. Knowing who God is, knowing our spot, The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. God doesn't deserve to give us a reward for humility. Humility is just where we belong, but he rewards humility. Isn't that wonderful? I love the Lord for being like this. The lowly in spirit aren't faking it. 
They're not just pretending to be lowly so that they can get some honor because then that's actually not being lowly. The lowly in spirit know their spot. They know who they are. They know who God is. And yet God loves, loves to reward that. And why? Well, it's because the, the truly humble person who knows who they are and who knows who God is, what are they going to do with any little bit of honor that God gives to them? Are they going to keep it for themselves? Yeah, look at me. I just got honored. No, what are they going to do? They're going to reflect it back to the one who deserves it. And that's why God can honor them because they're just going to honor him. Like for Samuel 2.30, those who honor me, I will honor. When we choose humility, God can actually honor us because he knows that that honor is going to get reflected right back to him. So humility is better than pride in every way. Pride tries to get to the high spot and it gets knocked down to the low spot. Humility, content with the low spot, actually finds honor being given from the Lord. And so the final two Proverbs here show us some, some, in, in some interesting ways just how much better humility is than pride. Uh, 12.9 starts us off when it says, Better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. So it's better to be humble and actually have what you need than to pretend to be something and actually be hungry. And we might say, okay, that kind of makes sense. But the next proverb takes it even further when it says, this is 16.19, It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. Humility is so much better than pride in every way that it would be better to be lowly, humble, and dirt poor than to be proud and rich. Because in the end, we know where this is going. You can be rich now, but if God is opposed to you, your future is not going to be good. But to be humble and poor and yet to be able to look forward to the blessing of God, that's what Proverbs is telling us. So these are the three main truths that Proverbs tells us. Pride is the way of fools. God hates pride and is opposed to the proud. And humility is better in every way. Now at this point, we might have some questions. We've seen some truths. We've seen some ideas. But what does this actually look like in real life? What does it look like to cultivate and to practice humility in our daily lives? And Proverbs gives us some answers to those questions. And so we move now to our four lessons, which speak to us about how to practice and how to cultivate humility in the course of our life. How to actually take these three truths and to make them get to work in our lives. And so here's the first one. Here's the first lesson on practicing and cultivating humility from the book of Proverbs. Take the low spot. This comes from chapter 25, verses 6 to 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. This sounds familiar. It's because it's almost the exact same lesson that Jesus repeated almost a thousand years later, around a thousand years later. In Luke 14, where he talked about taking a seat at the wedding, don't don't take the seat of highest honor and actually be told, uh, someone else is sitting there. Take the low seat, because then maybe you'll actually get asked to move up. So there's that idea of pride being humbled, humility being honored. 
It's like we've seen, lived out by Jesus. When from the heights of heaven, he chose the lowness of the cross and as a result was exalted to the heights of glory. Now, I was trying to think of of practical examples of what this might look like for us. Most of us don't have the option of of hanging out with royalty very often. Um, You might have situations, maybe you're at work and you go into the lunchroom and there's an empty spot right beside your boss, the person that you kind of want to ask for a promotion from. You could plunk down right beside him and have him say, "Uh, actually, that spot was being saved for the person I'm having lunch with and be really embarrassed. Or you could choose to sit at the next table and have him say, hey, why don't you come over and sit beside me? Let's have lunch together. And maybe there's all kinds of different scenarios like that that you might be able to imagine relevant to your life where you can choose to take the best for yourself or you can choose to take the low spot and just see what God might do. Choosing to take the low spot, even if it's not about trying to work our way up the scales, it can still be a really powerful way to show concern and love for others by leaving the best for someone else. I thought of a couple examples around here on a Sunday morning. Maybe if you're young and healthy, it means parking in the back, leaving the front parking lot more free for visitors, newcomers, or those who might have not as easy of a time as you walking all the way from the back. Maybe it means sitting closer to the front, even though that might not be your favorite, so that there's more spots available for guests or families or those who, again, might have a harder time making their way to the front. I know I'm moving here away a little bit from the context of, of this passage, But what I'm pointing to here is that each one of us will have many opportunities in our lives where we can grab onto the best for ourselves or where we can say, I'm going to take the low spot and leave the best for someone else. And that is one of the ways that we can practice humility and put it into practice in our lives and cultivate it. Here's a second second truth here. Leave your reputation to others. In other words, don't toot your own horn. Which is a phrase that talks about how when someone would do something good, someone else might draw attention to it with a blast of a bugle. And someone who toots their own horn wants everyone to see what they did. And the book of Proverbs says, don't do that. Leave your reputation to others. And we see this in three Proverbs. Uh, first is twenty-five, twenty-seven. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. A bit of honey and sugar might be okay. And, and what it's generally saying here is that having a bit of, like having a concern for your reputation, wanting to have a good reputation in and of itself is not always bad. But it is bad when we chase after the sugar rush of wanting to maintain our own reputation and making sure everybody knows just how awesome we are. Proverbs 27, 1-2 says it directly. Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger and not your own lips. If you did something great, keep it zippered. Let someone else say something if something needs to be said. Leave your reputation to others. 
And then finally, 2721 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. And the sense there seems to be that the real test of who you are is what other people say about you, not what you say about yourself. These days, is it not easier than ever to toot our own horns? Social media has made it not only uh, easy, but actually socially acceptable. Blows my mind. Uh, how socially acceptable it is on social media to brag about ourselves, to show off with pictures and words just how awesome we are and all these great things we did. And as long as we put thankful and blessed in the comment section, then it's not bragging, right? Because, you know, we're just, well, and that's why we've invented this phrase, the humble brag. Oh, look at how good God was to me to give me the opportunity to do all this awesome stuff for all these people with all the photographic evidence. And we become our own PR departments and it's, it's not okay. Maybe social media isn't your thing, but maybe, maybe, in fact, probably not just maybe, I'm sure that all of us know what it's like. When you've done something and no one's noticed, there's that, that urge, that craving to just like slip it out somewhere, to sort of cough it out. Oh yeah, I did that for that person. You hope someone notices. It's not okay. That's pride trying to win in your heart. Humility says, I'm okay to be low. I'm okay if only God notices because I know he's going to reward me for my faithfulness to him. And in fact, remember, remember uh, Matthew chapter 6, that there's actually a greater reward if no one else notices. We're content with that. But if our reputation is going to get out there, we'll leave it up to God and others. We won't toot our own horn because we're seeking God's glory, not our own. Here's a third lesson for us from Proverbs this morning. Three out of four. Compare yourself to God. Now, I'm sure some of you are thinking right now, what are you talking about, man? That sounds crazy. Who am I to compare myself to God? And that's exactly it. That's exactly it right there. When you compare yourself to God, you realize that you're nothing compared to his greatness. And that's exactly what, what we need to do. Regularly, routinely, Consider just how great God is so that we might realize by comparison just how small we are. That is a very healthy and a good way for us to cultivate humble hearts. And we see this in a couple of ways in Proverbs. Proverbs 27.1. Do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day might bring. Sounds again like the book of James. James chapter 4, 14 to 17. Don't boast about tomorrow. Well, tomorrow I'm going to go do this. How do you know? You don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. Why would you pretend like you know the future? There's only one person who knows the future, right? So here's what we're doing. We're comparing ourselves to God. As we think, I don't know what's going to happen five seconds from now. I have a pretty good idea we're going to be doing this, but I don't know. What about God? Well, 1921. Many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow because God has planned tomorrow and every day thereafter. So what he wants to happen is going to happen. What you want to happen, what you want to happen, maybe, but only if it's what he wants to happen. And so knowing that, recognizing, thinking about the fact, I really don't know anything. I can't control the future. I can't control what's going to happen. God, on the other hand, can. 
wow, there's a big difference between us. That realization right there, that is humility at work in your heart. See, when we forget that, that's where, I was talking to someone about that this week, that's where we so often get angry about things that we shouldn't be angry about. Like when we lose something or when, you know, we're working on a project and something goes wrong and we just get so mad because we feel like we should be in control. How silly. How important it is to remember, I'm not in control of anything. God is. And that's humility to recognize that. Now, finally, to give another example of this, we come to Proverbs 30, the verses that we read together at the beginning of of the morning. This is a section of Proverbs chapter 30, not written by Solomon, but written by a man that we know nothing about, except that he was humble. Agur, son of Jekah, he opens by saying this is an oracle, a divinely inspired revelation, long lines of a prophecy. And it's interesting because in the ancient world, much of the time when a wisdom writer would begin a, 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 their, their thing, they would begin by bragging about how, how wise they are and why you should listen to them. Do you hear how Edgar starts in the completely opposite place? He begins by telling you how stupid he is and how he knows nothing compared to God. The man declares, that's him, I am weary, O oh God, I am weary and worn out. Probably in, the, in this context, weary from the search of wisdom. I am too stupid to be a man. Like, so there he's low compared to his peers. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. I barely know you, God, is what he's saying. And then he starts asking these questions, which sound very similar to the book of Job, where he compares himself to God. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? God has. I haven't. Who has gathered the wind in his fists? God has. I haven't. I can't control the wind. Do you see that storm we... Have had some of those storms we've had in the past few weeks? I can't control that. God can. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who can take all the waters on earth and throw them around the way he wants? God can. I, I can't. Who has established the ends of the earth? Well, God, not me. What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. Do you see how these questions are designed to cultivate humility? By recognizing, wow, God is really great. I am really, really, really small. I am so small. We compare ourselves to God and we recognize just how small we are. I remember reading someone years ago saying, you want to cultivate humility, study theology. Study God. Study the what, what theologians call the incommunicable attributes of God. What that means is the things about God that are not true of us. Okay, so God is love and we need to learn how to be loving. But there are certain things about God that we will never be. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. You will never be like that. Try as you might. Trust me, I've prayed for it a few times. God is omniscient. He knows everything. That will never be true of you. And it's good to think about that because that helps us know our spot and how great God is. So practically, as you read the Bible on a regular basis, as I, as I hope you do, look for those things. You read a passage, think, what is this passage telling me about God? And what is this passage telling me about me? Consider the gap and let humility get to work in your heart. Here's our fourth stop this morning, our fourth lesson. Stand firm on God's word. 
And where we're getting this from is just the next two verses in Proverbs 30, which we see how they're connected because we read them together at the beginning of the morning. Right after Agur said all these words about God being great and, and implicitly him being really small, then he says this, very next thing out of his mouth, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So he's saying God's words are true. They're a safe place for you, a safe foundation to hide behind, to build your life on. Don't mess with them. Isn't that interesting? And this is what we're going to see a bunch in this last point here, is how humility actually leads to confidence. Because when we see God, then we find safety in him. Edgar realizes that his own words, his own ideas, are way too small of a foundation to build his life on. They're way too fragile of a place for him to rest his hope. But when he sees, he sees how small he is, then he sees how great God, he says, what he says, that's going to be my foundation, my shield, that his words prove true. And so humility leads to confidence in the word of God. This is so different from the way that many people in our world today think. Even many people who call themselves Christians in recent years have used the language of humility to say that no one can understand the Bible. What they'll say is, I'm so humble. I mean, they maybe don't use those words, but that's the idea. You know, in humility, we need to recognize that, man, how could a, a puny person like me ever hope to understand what God has said? And this tends to come up in the context of hot-button issues, like what the Bible has to say about uncomfortable things in our culture today. And they refuse to take a stand on those issues under the banner of humility. Well, I I really have no idea what the Bible says because, you know, I'm just a man, and how, how could I? Sounds humble, but it's actually one of the most arrogant things that a person could say or do. Because what they're saying is that they know more about God's word than God does. Because God seems to think that this is understandable. That's why he gave it to us. And he tells us to read it and to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and that all scripture is breathed out by God and and sufficient for life and godliness. And and we string together verses and we could go on and on. Solomon and the Apostle Paul and Jesus and thousands of years of faithful people have humbly receive God's word as something that we can and must understand and build our lives on. And yet all of a sudden we think we're the first people who know enough to say, oh yeah, we really, we have no idea what this actually says. So conveniently, I don't have to take an uncomfortable stand on human sexuality or whatever the issue is that we're being pressed on. It's like if I asked one of my kids to go clean their room. 30 minutes, 30 minutes later, they're playing outside. Their room's a mess. And I said, what's going on? I say, oh, well, Dad, you know, who, who am I to think I could really understand what you meant back there when you told me to go clean your room? I mean, I'm just, I'm just a kid. Who am I? They're, what they're doing is they're insulting me and my ability to communicate clearly. And they're arrogantly covering up the fact that they don't think they actually have to listen to me. And so-called Christians are doing this all the time. So please listen, it is not arrogance to stand firm on God's word. In fact, that is the most humble thing you can do because you realize your own thoughts, ideas, words, they're not, they're not a place where you're going to build your life. 
God is great. God is a good communicator. He has spoken clearly. And it's, for up, it's up to us to humbly believe and humbly obey and to build our lives on what he has told us, not what we happen to think. Now, two, two quick caveats here or quick little asides. Number one, this doesn't mean that we don't need to be humble about our own limitations, right? None of us as an individual was designed to be able to perfectly do this Christian life on our own. God gave the, his word to us as the people of God. We need each other to understand God's word perfectly. Or perfectly is perhaps not the right word, but properly. We need to listen to each other. We need to be able, we be willing to use study tools like study Bibles and commentaries that help us understand what was going on in the, in the context of when these things were written. I'm not saying here that a Christian locked away in a closet, cutting themselves off from everybody else, is going to be able to, to do well. That's not how it was designed to work. We need each other. Humbly, we need each other. We need to approach God's word as the church. But as we do that, we're going to find a firm foundation for us to stand on. And what we're going to find is that God's word is clear enough that the basic meaning, the main point, is able to be discerned, even by a child. We also, there's a second caveat, we want to keep our attitudes in check as we study God's word and as we build our lives on it, that this is not our truth. We don't go to God's word to find material so that we can win arguments with people. That's not how it works. We tremble at his word, like Isaiah 66, 2 talks about. This is God's truth, not ours, and we have to come to it with the deepest humility. But as we do that, we will find ourselves standing firm on his word because he's a good communicator and it's clear and we can understand it. So don't let people push you around and tell you that you're being arrogant when all you're doing is just believing and standing on what God's word has said. That's actually the most humble thing that you can do. Don't surrender to those who think they know better than God. Let me sum this whole point up and really this whole message by by putting it this way. Humility is not the opposite of confidence. Humility is the opposite of self-confidence. But humility, knowing our place and knowing who God is, leads to confidence in that God and in his word. And also put it this way, humility is not the opposite of boasting. Humility is the opposite of boasting in ourselves. But humility which means knowing who we are, knowing who God is, will lead to us boasting in that God. The choice before us then at all points is not between confidence or not. It's between confidence in us or confidence in our Redeemer, in our Savior, in our Creator. Jeremiah chapter 9 states it so well when it says this. Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Okay, pride. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. That's pride. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. That's pride. But now we get to humility. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, and that I am the Lord. And he goes on from there to talk about what he's like. Boasting in the Lord 
is the fruit of humility. Confidence in God is the fruit of humility. And so that's why we're going to end this morning by singing this song, My Worth is Not in What I Own, a song that talks about the temptations of pride in the, in the ways of, of wisdom or power or money and says, no, 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 not that, but rather I'm going to boast in my Redeemer. I'm going to know God and find my confidence in Him. And so what does this message now look like for you as you go out from here to your Sunday afternoon, to your Monday morning, to your Tuesday, I'm going to leave those answers between you and the Holy Spirit. Where are the, the points where you can feel arrogant? Where are the points where you can feel confident in the wrong places? Walk with God this week. Meditate on his word. Consider what his word says about you, that you are way smaller than you think, but way more loved than you think. That God is greater than you think and yet pays such close attention to his children. Knowing that, what does it look like for you this week to walk in the confidence that comes from knowing your God? It starts with his word. So make that a commitment and then ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in the paths of humility. Let's take a moment after I pray here to be quiet and then let's sing this last song together, even as a prayer. Oh Lord, asking him to do these things in our hearts. Would you join me right now as we pray? Father, Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us your word, showing us who you are. And Lord, when we dare to look up at the heights of your majesty, we realize just how low we are. And that is so good to know. Because then, Lord, we know, we can know how gracious you are towards the humble how your words are a safe and a steady place for us to build our lives on. And we will be confident and be able to boast in what you've accomplished. Greatest of all on the cross and every day in our lives as we follow you. So Lord, take us and lead us this week in the paths of humility. Help us to put pride to death by your word. And would you help us to put these things into practice? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.